Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 47 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and I'm really a lot more comfortable on the move. And I'm Barb. And maybe you guys want to save us some research and make a list of the vampiric creatures you haven't fought, because there's a lot of them, aren't there? Anyway, today yes. we're going to be discussing the 10th Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 4, entitled Insatiable, which was written by Keely McDonald, and that was her first writing credit on Sleepy Hollow. Isn't that exciting for her? Oh, absolutely. She did a wonderful job. She really did. And it was directed by Stephen A. Adelson. And... I really enjoyed this episode quite a bit. There was a lot of interesting things that went on, and I thought that the story is moving forward at a pretty good clip now. Yep, so I think we've definitely found out what is uh, going on with everything. And um, like I said, I thought Keely did a fantastic job on the episode. There was definitely uh, a lot of movement forward, and I'm ready to see what the next episode holds for us. Me too. Why don't I give us a recap and we can jump right into it, Steve? Sounds great, Barb. Okay. Malcolm Dreyfus has convinced Helen Donovan, the former CFO of Dreyfus Industries, to become his latest recruit, while Job uses a Chinese puzzle box, a Mai Fang conundrum box, to unleash an insatiable hunger demon in the basement of the Eisenhower building. The monster quickly goes to work, causing people to gorge on everything in sight and then die of malnourishment. Ichabod Crane is throwing a party and feels that he is beginning to settle into his new life in Washington, D.C. Later, Team Witness gathers in the vault to research the latest supernatural occurrence, and Diana Thomas asks Jake Wells and Alex Norwood to investigate Dreyfus for her, unbeknownst to Crane. Crane and Diana head to the Eisenhower building where they witness one of Diana's colleagues, Assistant Secretary Nancy Stryker, become a victim of the hunger demon. Jenny Mills visits a friend while researching the demon, hunger, famine, and cannibalism, and he offers her a job that she finds tempting. Back at the vault, the team agrees to focus on destroying the hunger demon, and Crane recalls seeing this puzzle box with a colleague of his, Edward Reed, who has ties to James F. Reed and the Donner Party. While trying to contain the demon, the box breaks, and Alex, Jake, and Jenny determine how to create a new one. They find what they need in a junkyard, summon the demon, and vaporize him with gold. Meanwhile, Dreyfus and Job have filled two of four coffins with Logan McDonald, the writer of Pestilence, Helen Donovan, the writer of Famine, and they are healing the headless horseman who will be the writer of death, leaving them one short. And at the vault, Team Witness realizes what Dreyfus is doing, raising the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we, dear sleepyheads, we know who that fourth rider will be, don't we? Absolutely. And since we know everybody already knows, we don't have to answer the question, so we can go get straight into the news there, can't we, Steve? Yeah, we sure can. All right, episode eight, sick burn. We have the live plus seven days, 
It tied for 18th in adults 18 to 49 percentage gain, going from a 0.5 to a 0.9 for an increase of 80%. And it tied for 5th in viewers percentage gain, going from 1.779 to 3.171 million viewers for an increase of 78%. Uh, Episode 9, Child's Play, the final ratings are 0.4 and a 1. Share in adults 18 to 49 with 1.88 million viewers. And this week's episode, preliminary ratings are a 0.4 and a 2 share in 18 to 49 with 1.78 million viewers. Well, that's a little troubling that last week dropped to um, 0.4 and a 1 share. But what I like to see is how those Live Plus 7 go go up. And I've been reading here recently that there's actually a Live Plus 35 day. Yes, that, I saw that too. Uh-huh, that people are beginning to look at, especially for any shows that are on the bubble. I know that Timeless, uh, which is a sister podcast on Golden Spiral Media by Doug and Karen, uh, Remaking History, and their show is is considered to be on the bubble, and they've been watching their ratings, and, and apparently there is a Live Plus 35. So we'll have to see how this goes. I wouldn't throw in the towel on Sleepy Hollow yet. Not at all. So ratings... Steve, what did you give this episode? I gave it an 8.75 revealing x-rays. Oh my, can you imagine going through an expo- or an airport scanner and having that pop up? <laughs> Woo. I yeah. wonder how, I wonder how they would ban you for flying on that. <laughs> I gave it 8 groovy parties. Annette gave it 9 scales. Linda gave it 8.5 Rubik's cubes on steroids. I think I have to agree with her on that. Yeah. And Julie gave it 8.5 crushing Alex's. So it looks like all in all, people thought uh, pretty highly of this episode. Indeed they did. So why don't we just jump right into it? And Steve, what's new on the team witness front this week? All right. Well, Crane is uh, throwing a party at his apartment, inviting the neighbors. It was a groovy party. Yes. The age of Aquarius, baby. Flashback to the 60s. Yes, with a gentleman named Zappa. I wonder if his name was Frank. Frank, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that guy's father definitely had a uh, liking for Mr. Zappa's music. <laughs> so that gets us started with this um, great party. He does um, take a minute to talk to Jenny, and we kind of see that she thinks he's kind of really fitting in in D.C. and that this could probably be his home. And, of course, he kind of asks Jenny, you know, what's her plans? And we'll get into that when we talk about Jenny. But he doesn't quite get the answer he was expecting, shall we say. Well, I think one of the other things, too, is that Jenny seemed to have a lot of insight into how he was fitting in. And he hadn't really thought about it. Right. Because he, oh, well, maybe I am, right? Yes. He, and I know guys don't think about their feelings all the time because that whole <laughs> Mars-Venus thing. But but I think that he was beginning to reflect on how, okay, you're right. Things are kind of gelling together. We have a good new team. We found the witness. You know, we're getting the bad guys. I've got a place. I have friends. And in a way, it almost seems as if in case we don't get a, a next season, which I know blasphemy. Um, they're going to let our characters be happy and find themselves in whatever world they're in today, I think. But that's just speculation on my part. Right. And, of course, 
once they get back to the vault, Crane uh, lets everybody know that they need to focus on getting the monster because Diana's a little too focused on Dreyfus at the moment. And uh, that comes back later in the episode. But Crane and Diana head over to the Eisenhower building to uh, look for the demon. And when they get there, unfortunately, uh, Assistant Secretary Stryker has fallen to the demon's psychic powers and is the next victim. That was a disturbing scene. Indeed it was, because, you know, the first guy we see that gets it, he, he just starts eating food. Well, the secretary was not eating food. She was eating another person. Yeah, the way she was kind of crouched over there, just kind of chowing down was, yeah, that was kind of gross. Another reason why you don't eat dinner while watching some of these, <laughs> the genre of show, okay? Yes. <laughs> I never learn. Now, once they um, get down in the basement of the Eisenhower building, after they've determined that Job was in the building and the best way to find them was because he got into the, the duct work of the building was to go down to the sub-basement, and they find the box. And, of course, Crane remembers that one of his uh, British compatriots, Edward Reed, had a box very similar and was found in uh, the tea crates, which we thought we were going to get a Boston Tea Party reference there, but we didn't. I know. I, I fully expected that. I was surprised when they didn't go down that path. But he also states that, right. And they took us down a completely different path. Why did <laughs> they ever? <laughs> they certainly did. Yeah. We find out that he had actually died of starvation. And Crane thinks that he accidentally released the hunger demon when he gave the box to his daughter. So not looking good. Now, of course, Crane thinks, or at least he didn't think, he states that he is adept at puzzles. And as he's trying to figure the box out, Basically, Jenny takes it from him, and as soon as he finishes his little spill about all the things that he's accomplished, she's got it <laughs> figured out. Yeah, that was some humble pie he had to eat there, wasn't it? Yes, it sure was. Uh, he's talking about how good he is, and she just looks at him, takes it out of his hand, zip, you know, it's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene. Now, of course, this allows the calls the monster back and team witness has to take him on. And unfortunately during the uh, battle, the monster falls on the box, breaking it. And as we get back to the vault, we find out that, Oh, by the way, Jake and Alex were um, doing things for Diana and crane chastises her saying that, the team needs to be on the same page and work as a team. Separate agendas will lead them astray. And it was clear earlier that both he and Jenny were disturbed. You could tell from the looks on their faces. Right. By Diana going off on that tangent, even before she instructed Alex and Jake to do her bidding. Right. But he's 100% correct. They have to be focused on the problem at hand. And what he said was completely logical. You know, Dreyfus is going to be around and they need to go after the monster. Right. You got to save the innocent people first and then you go after the bad guy. And I thought he was very diplomatic when Diana first brings it up. Yes, we understand that 
Dreyfus went after your daughter and you have a, every reason to want him taken out as soon as possible, but we've got innocent lives to save first. And I think that that's the one thing that Diana's not quite got a complete grip on that you got to do it one thing at a time, or at least that's what Crane's objectives are is one step at a time. You've got to stop the monster first, then we can try to go after Dreyfus. And of course, her perspective is very different. As you said, you know, she's got Molly to worry about. Right. And she wants all this to stop. You know, she's, I think that she still hasn't exactly accepted the fact that her daughter is a witness, not entirely. I think right. it would take a long time to do that. It'd be very difficult. Yes. yes. And so she wants to, I'm going to guess that somewhere in the back of her mind, she believes that if they make Dreyfus go away, a lot of this stuff stops and maybe it'll just right. go away. Yes. That's what. She's hoping will happen at least. Now, of course, we also get the twistery story that we didn't know we wanted, but when it came out, it was absolutely fantastic. His compatriot, Reed, actually was a descendant of a Reed that happened to be part of the Donner Party and that the hunger demon caused them to resort to cannibalism, which of course, led to the 1848 gold rush because they get it trapped underground, they blow it up, and of course, gold is discovered. Only on Sleepy Hollow, yes. honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there and I'm like, what? wait a minute. A minute. <laughs> and then you have to go, you're scratching your head and they make it so believable, like, no, 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 no. Now I got to go look all this stuff <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, no. I even went looking to see if there was really was a, if it was even possible that there was this other read and the two of them were connected, right, but I'll talk related. about that later. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. I'll tell you, they do a good job of convincing you of this stuff. The showrunners and the writers are fantastic. Yes. And this was a great twistery that didn't see coming and well done Keely for putting this in. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now, of course, the team comes together and figures out a way to rebuild the box using a 3D printer. All they need is the gold. Well, Jenny has that handled. And so they go to her place, the junkyard of cars. You knew that junkyard had to come in handy at some point in time. Yes. <laughs> and sure enough, it did because as Jenny informs us, there's gold. In them, their cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, she tells this great little story, and Crane definitely has to uh, give her the side eye when she says that, oh, she had a friend who did all this stuff. But <laughs> yeah, sure, you did, Jenny. <laughs> I have friends, too. They've never gotten into trouble. Mm -hmm. Right. Crane ends up being pretty much crushed when... Jenny informs him about her job offer, which is totally understandable. He doesn't want to lose her at all, but and maybe we won't, but she did say she hadn't said yes yet and that she's still training the witness. So we shall see about that. Now, the team does realize that the gold scales are gone from Lady Justice in the Eisenhower building. So they head back to the vault and... Crane discusses the scales and how they are used, and he and Jenny realize that Dreyfus is trying to raise the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Horrifying. Yes. 
Not again. <laughs> yeah, not again, indeed. Well, speaking of Jenny, of course, she was there at the party. That's our girl, Jenny, um, helping out Crane, being there in the scene. And as you said, she did say that her job, that she felt her job was to come and find and to train the next witness, because that was part of her closure with Abby. Even right. though she didn't say it, I think that we all know it. Yes. Um, and it was also part of the grieving process for her. That's part of bargaining, denial, bargaining, anger, acceptance. And she, she felt she needed to do it. I think that she wanted to see what part of, what part of my sister has been transferred to this person. And I think it quite, it shocked her to see that it was Molly and she has been p- playing the role of the big sister. But I think that she's also going to realize at some point in time, she's going to have to let go. Right. And I suspect that's why this offer was so appealing to her. But as you know, as you said in your opening, she's more comfortable on the move. She's a restless sort. Uh, she has been for a long time. And I think that's what helps her cope. So right. it'll be interesting to see that whenever the, whenever the series comes to an end, how she, you know, where she finds herself, whether she decides she wants to be grounded or not. So anyway, her contribution this week was to was, of course, in all of everything that she knows about her artifacts. She goes to this shop to find a book that might give them more information on the demon that they're trying to find. And son of a gun, she knows the guy at the register. Um, his name is Donnie Lou, and apparently, normally his uncle is there. But he was like hero worship all over her. Yes, he was. Oh, you're the best, da-da-da. And as they're kind of looking through this little online catalog, of, I guess, of all the stuff that they have there, here she sees this horn. And he's like, oh, you know, I've got a, you know, really rich guy. We don't have a team yet to get it. You could go after it, you know, a month in Nepal and another month here. And it it actually sounded rather exciting to me, too. Yes. I was ready to say, hey, can I sign up for that gig? But, hey, you could form your own team. You know, my uncle would be delighted. We'd love to have you. And you can definitely see she's excited about the thought of that, about chasing an artifact again. Yes, because she did it for so many years. She did, and she's good. She knows, and she's good at it, and she likes doing it. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yes, it is. Anyway, so she's the one who tells Crane and Diana after they've gone through what this monster-sized list, literally, of all the different creatures, you know, that it could be, right? And they're no, we fought that, and we've done this, and we've done that, and so it's Jenny who says, "Hey, this is a hunger demon, and there is an artifact." This my fun conundrum, which is a Chinese mystics created this enchanted puzzle box that we saw that can draw, trap, or release a hunger demon. So clearly we watched it get released, and now they've got to draw it and trap it again. And then she took that little Rubik's Cube type device, and as you said, when she took that away from Crane, that was hysterical. Yes, it was. Those two are, pardon the pun, they are pure gold. Yes. They were in this episode. And when she went junkyard diving with the team to get the gold out of the junk cars. Now, when she said that there were some in catalytic converters, I was like, wait a minute. That's not what they used to steal catalytic converters for. Right. <laughs> and so I went looking up online, and I, and sure enough, it listed everything else was in a catalytic converter. But then I found this one paper that actually talked about using gold in some catalytic converters. And it was a scientific paper, so I don't know if they ever did it or not on any models. But if they did, can you imagine how many people are going to be listening to this podcast and go, I'm going to my nearest junkyard and let's see if I can. It, it would be a gold rush. It would be a right. junkyard gold rush. <laughs> I was severely tempted after I heard that. Right. Except I'd have to take someone with me who knew cars and knew what they were looking for. Right. I wonder if Jenny is available. 
Anyway, she summoned the demon. They tried to take it down, and they got it down with all the little toys and tricks that Alex and Jake and she had worked on together, which again shows to me how well the three of them, how their minds just, they just work together. They solve puzzles so quickly. And because they figured out very quickly, hey, how can we make one of these things? How can we replicate it? That little brainstorming trio is very smart. Yes, they are. And what was very poignant when she finally did tell Crane about her job offer, you know, she said that she wouldn't just be part of something. This would be her thing, her own thing. Right. And she's a very strong, independent woman. And she has their back, but she also needs to have her life as well. And I think that was her way of saying it. Yep. I think so, too. Yeah. Now, it was real nice how uh, Jenny did kind of uh, buddy up with Alex there at Crane's apartment during the party after Alex finds out about Jake's new uh, girlfriend. Because Jenny sees them, and then she sees Alex coming to her. And, of course, without saying a word, she Reaches down, grabs a beer, and hands it to Alex. There is not much that gets by Jenny Mills. No, not at all. She is extraordinarily savvy. She's done a lot of stuff. She's had experience. She knows things to look for. Our other team is relatively young, and they're certainly young in their learning of the supernatural. But on life lessons, Jenny knows her stuff, too. She's just... Yes, she does. She's an incredible... It's an incredible character, and it's and played so well by Lindy Greenwood. Yes. Now, Diana, of course, we see her begin the episode meeting with Assistant Secretary Stryker, wanting to go after Dreyfus. And she shows them all this information. And Stryker pretty much says, you don't got enough information here to do anything, and it you're just seeing red and going after this guy. So... Stryker apparently uh, knew pretty quickly that Diana was nowhere close to being ready to go after him, with at least through the legal system. But I was surprised that Stryker didn't ask her why. Right. She was obsessed with him. Yeah. And that part surprised me because that was that'd be a question I would ask: is why are you? Why is it that you want to get this guy so badly? Really, what is it that is driving this? Right. And she might have felt differently had she found out that, yes, this guy went after her daughter. So, Although at that point, she would have said, yeah, this is completely personal. Right. <laughs> and said, uh, Told you. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Interesting that, of course, because she was told no, that Stryker ends up being one of the victims. I'm not sure if that says anything or not. Nah, wrong place, wrong time. And it tied the story together. Yes. It had to happen that way. And of course, yes, we definitely know that Diana is getting more and more obsessed with Dreyfus because he did go after her daughter. And so she pulls uh, Alex and Jake aside to uh, pursue leads on Dreyfus, which didn't turn out real well, but it might. It may pay off dividends later on. Well, now, I was also surprised that Alex and Jake went ahead and took, quote-unquote, orders from her anyway. And I and I suspect that because she really isn't their, you know, quote-unquote, commanding officer, their manager, their, you know, whatever, you be it. But I suspect that they probably did it more out of the fact that they've begun to bond with Molly. I mean, they only met her a few weeks ago in the timeline when she came to the vault. 
Right. But I think that they were probably doing it more because they thought it would be helpful as a team effort. And Crane didn't tell them to do anything either. He didn't say, wait in the vault, look up more stuff, yada, yada, the way he sent Jenny off. Right. Or actually, Jenny volunteered herself to go. But yeah, so youth and inexperience, ah, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. We all get there eventually. Yes. <laughs> of course, it is stunning to Diana to actually see Stryker eating someone on the floor and then shrivel up and die. It was stunning to all of us. Yeah, it sure was. Now, we do get some great input from her as she is able to go into the security system of the building and pull up the security footage, which we do see that, yes, Job was in the building earlier and that she's able to get the schematics of the uh, building to uh, find out that, yes, the in the sub-basement is where all the uh, ductwork ends up and that's how it got into the vents and Crane actually saw its eyes in through the vents when Stryker was getting ate. ate. It's red glowing monster eyes. Yes. Because so many of our monsters do have red eyes. Yes. I will say Diana has to get credit, though, because when they were capturing um, or destroying the hunger demon in the junkyard at the end, she really was barking out orders in a way to make sure that the attack remained coordinated. Right. So she did. I think she did a good job of making sure that the team remained focused and that she remained focused as well. You know, they had to get yes. the demon. And they did a wonderful job of doing it, too, because yeah. everybody did their part perfectly. They did, including Jake and Alex. Especially Jake and Alex. Yeah, so we open up with Jake. So apparently he is now turned into a film geek, according <laughs> to Alex. And he's got a new friend, Missy. So I'm so glad that they gave him a new little girlfriend after getting after he got stood up on his Tinder date here a couple of episodes ago. Because right. he's, he's so adorable. And... They were going to go see Onibaba, which is a 1964 Japanese movie horror film that I looked up briefly. I had never even heard of this thing before, so I don't know if, if it's a cult classic somewhere or what, because he said that it had been, what, remastered, re-released, etc. So maybe it has been. I didn't look that far to see. Right. I saw enough of the old Japanese films like, you know, Mothra and, oh, I don't know, name a few more that all were the old original black and white from... The 50s and the 60s, so. Right. Yeah, so he was going to go see one of those. But Alex, of course, as you said, she wasn't too thrilled about it. Jenny noticed, gave her a beer. But our team, when you get them in the vault, they really work well together. Because here's Jake. He's throwing out all the different ideas of the type of monster it could be. And the team's fought all, all of them. And Alex is like, really? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us some that you haven't fought before. Which is actually very interesting because the team has fought. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse before. Yes. And now at least Crane and Jenny are going to do it again. Yep. Sure so, looks that way at least. Well, it certainly does. And so that was, it, it was interesting. It's like, what, you fought, you've already fought everything. They can't come back. And yet here, clearly, they're coming back. So I kind of got the feeling that was a little parallel there. Yes. And Jake is actually the one who had mentioned that there was a Chinese book so that Jenny could go find it from her friend at that lovely little artifact store. Right. And of course, when, okay, so when they did, when Jake and Alex were staking out Dreyfus's former assistant and they cloned her phone, what did that remind you of? Of course, person of interest. Absolutely. Cause that's, they did that every, I think 
almost every single episode, not every yes. single one, but almost every single episode, they were cloning someone else's phone so that they oh. could track their phones and their calls and everything else. So I'm sitting here now thinking, looking at my phone, thinking, can really somebody walk up on, uh, on the street, ne- stand next to me and clone my phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of makes the phone a little scary when you look at it. What? What's, yeah. what's who's spying on your phone? Oh, wait, that's right. They've already done that. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting. And but it worked because then they were able to find out that she and Dreyfus were still communicating with each other, which I thought was interesting because Dreyfus shut down the, the company, but yet he was still communicating with his executive assistant. Probably to get a hold of um, the CFO. Maybe so. But he no, remember, he by the time they cloned her phone, Helen was already was, I think, already probably in CIA mode. Right. Um, but maybe he was using her to help him with his personal stuff, like, you know, get all his art supplies as he painted his own flag or make Thanks. sure that the utilities on his place were paid for. Since since oftentimes CEOs and chairmen do use their personal assistants to take care of their personal business at work. It's written into their contracts. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So maybe that was happening. But Alex was crushing on Jake there, right? Don't you find him charming? Don't you find him charming? <laughs> she told him he had puppy dog charm and he used it oh yeah yeah i'm not a hundred percent sure she's crushing on him but there was definitely signs of her not being pleased with the way he was handling himself let's just say that yeah i i kind of agree and so we can talk about that later in some of our theories and stuff because i have some definite thoughts about this so but Jake is the one who found uh, information on the Donner Party as Crane wove the rest of the story, story <laughs> Like, really? Seriously? And then Alex and Jake created this replica box with the symbols on it. And then Alex created this gun that they could use with the gold and some other chemical that I'm not a chemist. That, right. that, that they could use along with that gold to take out the hunger demon because they realized, obviously, after Crane's story, that gold was its weakness. And then, lo and behold, Mission Gold Solution was a smashing success. Indeed it was. Yes. Thanks to our crack team. But the bad guys were still kind of busy, weren't they? Oh, indeed they were. We get to see Dreyfus uh, busily painting away, trying to get his flag just right, I guess. He's so obsessed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he's hidden away in a cabin 400 miles away from D.C. and been there for several weeks. And that gave us a nice perspective because at the close of the last episode, he was shutting down his company. So we know that at least our team has been able to go for several weeks without having a monster around. To deal with, right. Right. Yeah, things kind of got quiet for a while, which probably didn't help Diana because she's chawing at the bit to get to him. (laughs) So she doesn't like it when he. Nothing's happening and he's not around. Or maybe she thought that it was just too, you know, it was too quiet. He's out there. Or the fact that something happened again just got her all riled up. Like, we got to take this guy out because he's still there. He's going to hurt my daughter. Right. So, of course, we get to see uh, Miss Donovan get off a helicopter and come up to the door and tap, tap, tap. And he offers her a new job. Because he knows how much she likes power. Right. And, of course, it was real interesting that he turns around and uses that she's famished for it. 
And she offered to uh, sign um, an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Right. And he said that wasn't necessary. Yeah, no, 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 no. And calls out to Job as he walks her over to the door. And all we hear is her screaming. I'm going to unload on the writers just a tiny bit here. Why does it? She's a CFO. Okay, so she's the she was the chief financial officer of uh, (laughs) Dreyfus Industries. Why is it that the finance people are always bad? The accountants don't always cut your budget. Come on. They're not all bad. Give give the finance people a break, please. Pretty please. (laughs) Make one of them a hero next time. (sighs) All right, I'm done. Not that I have any finance in my background. Oh, no, not at all. No, not at all. No, that wouldn't (laughs) upset me in the least. (laughs) Well, we do see Job going to the federal building, which he's first got to go through the scanner x-ray machine, which, of course, shows him a little, uh, oh, I can't say it because it would just be too bad. Um, I know what you're going to say. You can spell (laughs) it. It starts with an H and it ends with a Y. And there's yeah, there on, there's a, something honorary in between, okay? There yes, you go. there was, um, we see the X, X-ray and yeah, he's got some horns on him. He really did, <laughs> which got me thinking, then is he the real Satan or the real devil, which we can talk about, but boy, wasn't that officer shocked? I mean, he looked and then he looked again, he had to do a double take. Yeah. And then because, it was gone. Yeah. Job goes, is everything copacetic, officer? Yeah. <laughs> So he was doing his mind thing immediately because he knew that it was going to show his true form as he walked through. Well, maybe he didn't know that would happen. I mean, how many times have we watched Job go through an x-ray machine? Like never, right? Right. So who knows? Yeah. Well, he knew something was up because the guy looked and then when he looked back at it, it was normal. So Job had to do a Jedi mind trick on either the scanner or... The officer's mind, which I'm assuming it was the officer's mind. Probably. And of course, as he walks by uh, Lady Justice, he definitely uh, focuses in on the balance that she holds, which also uh, is very foreboding. So another uh, nicely done by uh, Keeley and Steven there of giving us another hint to look at. And he takes the box down to the basement and does his twists and turns. It lights up and unleashes the monster. And he goes, you must be famished after, was it one and a half centuries? And go at it. Well, and that would have been right, you know, for the gold rush. It would have been a little, right. it, would, it would have been over 150 years. So Now, apparently, uh, as um, we get down to where Malcolm is taking Job to his little place. We're not really sure where that is out somewhere in the forest, I guess, where his cabin is. Well, it almost looked like some abandoned castle or mansion or something, didn't it? Right. Yeah, it could have been. There's box with Logan, a box with Helen and two empty boxes. Job says, well, I have found headless, but not quite himself right now. So we're going to have to do some repair. So I wonder and how you heal a headless horseman. Exactly. Because they did have him chained down so that he couldn't go anywhere. Right. But Headless listened to Dreyfus. Yes. Dreyfus apologized to him. He said it was a mistake that that happened to him. And you go, yeah, right. Yeah, all during the entire Philosopher's Stone incident and with 
the I I guess that was Greek fire that got on him and burned him. Sure and then, like and, it. and left him um vulnerable to the bullets too. Right. So But Dreyfus said that one magic thing to him, right? And that seemed yep. to perk him right up. Yep. That Dreyfus was going to get the gang together again. Yep. And then Headless sort of laid back and said, Okay. Well, yep. he can't say anything. He doesn't have a mouth. He doesn't have a head. But yeah, he you can tell it. from right. And that's what was absolutely fascinating about that scene was you could actually tell by the actor's body language what Headless was thinking at the time, which was absolutely great job of acting. I know it really was. Now, it was interesting, too, that the, the, there was a comment made that the gold scales were charged as the hunger demon fed. Right. So I wonder, why do they have to be charged and what does that mean? And I don't know. Right. And I think that was one of the things Crane mentions uh, when they're talking about them. Uh, what was it? The- but it would contain the demon, but Job and Dreyfus need it for something for Helen, so that she could turn into famine. Right, and, and I, Logan you, as well, probably. Yeah, you, you almost wonder if maybe, yeah, if it's kind of a lightning bolt type thing. Maybe there's something that has to activate them and get them to there or act as a conduit for the real demons to occupy their bodies. Because I think, did he refer to them as hosts or something like that? Right, yes, he did to uh, Helen. He yeah. Did. So maybe maybe they need some kind of maybe there is something that they need that would have a, a a property or a substance some kind of chemical element something to jumpstart them if you will right yeah because he says scales are a totem in many mythologies in the zodiac Libra is a symbol of logic and balance in biblical texts the scales are a symbol of dread and primal power correct and so yes as the demon is going nuts in the Eisenhower building. Yes, the scales tip because that primal power has uh, increased by letting it go. Yeah, so maybe it, and I'm thinking maybe it is some kind of a conduit, something. Because right. I, I do get the feeling that it would be their bodies, but maybe not necessarily their, no, their souls, but maybe their souls are going to marry in a, in a, with a demon or something. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to just see, I guess. Yeah. It will be interesting, that's for sure. It will. And I love this creature. This was this has to be probably one of my favorite creatures because it didn't have to do anything, really. No, it didn't really do anything. No, it just crawled around in the ductwork and went psychotic on people. <laughs> it didn't, yeah, because it got other people to do the killing for it. Right, and it just fed off the energy. Uh-huh, nice. Yeah, absolutely fascinating um, monster in this episode. That's for sure. I really enjoyed. Kind of wish we'd have gotten to see a little more of it than <laughs> what we did. <laughs> well, we saw its eyes a few times. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun in this episode. And we definitely moved the story forward. So, yes, a whole lot. All right, let's move into side notes. Our guest cast was Kamar Delarez as Job. Catherine Dreyer as Assistant Secretary Nancy Stryker, Tom Archildeacon, Archildeacon as Captain Edward Reed, and James F. Reed, Kathleen Hogan as Helen Donovan, Lawrence Cow as Donnie Lou, Alexander Ward as the Hunger Demon, 
And he also played the Bargeist and the Whispering Wraith and the Ghoul. And, of course, we did get an appearance by Robbie Kay as Logan McDonald. As he quietly laid in his coffin as a dead thing. And you could barely see his face in the dark, but he was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we also had Headless. I forgot to add Headless to the to the list as well. So yeah. we had Headless as well. Well, I All guess right. we, there is prophecies. Into- yep. Move in there. Well, I threw out the Twitter question about who, who did we think was, was whom at this point in time. Right. So it certainly appears this point in time, at least from what Dreyfus told us, that Helen is, is the horseman or woman of famine. And I'm going to give a big shout out to Justina for taking us down that path last week. Right. Yes. She's the one who said, hey, I've read in, in prior literature, etc., that famine was, all, was not necessarily just viewed as a man, that the horseman could also be a woman. So she nailed it. She got that one right. Yes. We know that Logan McDonald is pestilence. We've got Headless sitting there. We know Headless is death. He does need his head, though. I wonder what kind of head he's going to get before the end, or maybe he won't have it. Right. So that leaves war. Indeed it does. So gee whiz, sleepyheads, who on earth could that possibly be? <laughs> so this makes it interesting because if Henry Parrish, Jeremy Crane, kind of got vaporized with his mom before. Right. How do they bring him back? What kind of supernatural magic do they have to do that? And then Can't what? Can't wait to find out. <laughs> you know, but then if they bring him back, then does that mean that every single monster, demon, etc., that they have, that they can bring them back, so that the team will never ever be safe? Right. Which they probably won't be anyway. A witness is all, is always going to have a battle. Yeah, and it kind of sounds. If you remember back, I guess it was last. Was it last year? The year before, where they where they basically said, "Yeah, this has been going on for." A millennia. Well, since time began, pretty well, at right. least at yeah. least for a thousand years, because that's that was Pandora and the Hidden One, right? So probably since time began. But so then, what's Dreyfus? Does he become the Moloch replacement or the you know the Moloch symbol in a way? That's kind of what it's looking like, unless Job is actually more than what he appears. Well, and that's why I wondered, I mean, they went out of their way to show us this x-ray, which they didn't yes. have to do. <laughs> no, they showing, didn't. Showing him with the horns, making me think, gosh, is, then, is, he really, is he really Satan? Is he the devil? And so then we get back to the, okay, is he manipulating Dreyfus and letting Dreyfus believe that he's in charge so that then he actually takes over? And then if Malcolm figures this out, is he going to try and double cross Job? Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know that that pro- that probably won't happen. But then l- stop and look what Henry Parrish did, though. Right. So he did manage to take out, help take out Moloch, right? Yes, he did. Because he, sure he did. stalled. He didn't want his mom destroyed, right? Right. So there could be a way. And maybe with Jeremy Crane, if he comes back, is this the point of reconciliation between father and son? Will That would really be awesome to see. Especially in this season where we don't know for sure that we're going to go any further. So, yeah, it would be nice to at least put that to bed for good and say, that's great. Henry and Ichabod have finally become father and son. Because if he saved his mother once, then maybe he'll save his father this time. And I believe, wasn't it in an article that we saw before the season started or early in the season where M. Raven Metzger 
was it him or was it someone else that talked about seeing a more resolution to that story? Right. Someone yeah. I know talked about it. I, I can't remember who right off the top of my head. So this may give us the opportunity to see that. Right. And seeing that this story has been going on for three out of the four seasons, I it would be nice to, I think it would be something that would put Crane in a place where he could definitely feel settled with everything where he's at in his life. Now, do we think Lindy Greenwood is uh, preparing us for a goodbye? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think if we were to get a season five, it would be very difficult to go on without her. Yes. As much as we love Diana and Alex and Jay, you got to have Jenny. <laughs> you have to have Jenny. Now, there was an interview that she did with Sci-Fi Wire on March the 3rd, where she said she bought a house. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe she bought that in Atlanta and that she isn't going anywhere. And this whole thing is designed to make the fans scream our support for her. Right. But she said something else in that article, too. And she said that Jenny wouldn't know what to do or what to be without the supernatural. And then she said, and yes, this will probably kill her someday. Uh, and I read that and I'm like, seriously, did you have to say that? Are you trying you to put prepare it that us? way? <laughs> are you trying to prepare us for something or are you messing with us? Because right. we're such a gullible sort sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> or, and this is when I get back to, or are the showrunners and the writers preparing us for a happy ending for the team if it doesn't get renewed by right. providing resolution between Crane and his father, by letting Jenny write off and do the things that she loves to do and being the strong, independent woman? kick posture woman that we know she is right um and letting letting crane finally be settled to the fact that he's 250 years in the future in this new place that is finally now you know after four years beginning to feel like a home to him with yeah. with people and with work that he likes to do and and i could see that too just in yeah, case hey they want a spinoff of um Jenny Mills, Artifact Hunter, I'm all for it. I'm all I'd there. Yeah. Oh, they do that, The Adventures of Jenny Mills, The Artif Artifact Hunter. I am totally there. Yes. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Laura Croft, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, okay, so writers, if y'all hadn't thought about this already, as as every podcaster will say, I don't want any money, just a little tip of the, a tip of the hat would be nice. Yeah, Thank right. you. <laughs> now, do we think... Um, Diana might splinter the team up before this is all over with. That's tough. You would think that she learned her lesson, but she's going to have that mama bear attitude. Right. So it may just happen out of instinct more than anything else. But with it's only. It's very possible because I expect that whatever Dreyfus has planned, he's going to expect that. The team will be battling the four horsemen while he runs around the backside and gets Miss Molly. Ooh, I wonder if he'll ca kidnap her before the end. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, you know what? I hate to say it, but I think you're probably right. I think he probably would try and kidnap her before the end of the uh, season. Yep, I think so. Oh, dear. Yeah. Then what do you do? Do you stop the four horsemen or do you go after Dreyfus? So she's yeah. going to go get her kid back. I mean, yes, she will. There she is will. no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yep. 
Well, because I was saying that that would be a really risky move by the riders. If we, well, if we lose a team member, because then if she leaves them, she could leave them shorthanded and then somebody could die, right? Right. But, well, I guess anything could happen. Yeah. With these riders, yes, anything could happen. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to see. Okay. So I don't want to, and, and with that, that quote that Jen, that, sorry, Jenny, that Lindy Green, uh, Greenwood made about her character, Jenny. Right. You know, saying that, hey, you know, she may die. If, if they kill off another character, everyone will go flipping ballistic. And I, and I just really think that after last season and, and how upset the fans were and the fact that some of these fans are just starting to come back again to the show, I think killing off a major character, having the folks completely go off the reservation, no way are the fans going to accept that this time. Right. So. Yep. I think this season they need a happy ending. With, now, what's that going to look like? Yeah. I still don't know. <laughs> yeah. With some kind of quasi cliffhanger, just in case. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you. I could see them killing Jenny, and then at the very end, you see Crane sitting outside, and, you know, they pull a, a Star Wars, you know, where he sees Jenny and Abby together in their Jedi costume. <laughs> That's a lovely vi- vision, but <laughs> yeah. like the Molly and Dreyfus one, I don't want it to come true. Okay. I want Jenny to live. She deserves that. Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah. But she would die for Molly. Ugh. Yes, she would. I don't want Jenny to die. No. They've already filmed it, but I don't want her to die. <laughs> All right. Let's get out of that one. I'm going to get yes. upset. <laughs> well, do we got any other uh, theories that we can? Hash out here. Um, well, this whole Alex and Jake thing. Right. Yes, we have not discussed that. I don't know what you're reading on Twitter, but everything I'm reading on both Twitter and other forms of social media, everybody is giving that the big thumbs down, which you can't see me doing in front of the microphone, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing a double thumbs down on that one right now. Yeah, it's um, really kind of uh, interesting how Jake has kind of gone from this little meek, insecure, hold up in his vault to being so outgoing and charming. And, you know, his evolution has just been absolutely amazing. And it's all just because of what he, I think, because he's found out that, yes, what he was hoping was true all along actually is. And he's actually on this team battling it. He's Joe Cool now. Yeah, he is. But I, you know, I don't. I never thought of him as meek and insecure. I thought that he was probably excited by what he had found in the va- in the vault because he's been reading all this cool stuff and he knew all the things were there. But he also felt like he wasn't fulfilled because if you remember early in the season, he had told Alex he was actually he, had, he was actually looking at getting another job. Right. Right. Yes. Um. So I think that what we've seen is the real. Jake, who is excited by his work. And I think he probably always had those skill sets. We always knew he was intelligent. But I think that he was just so agog, you know, here he was, he was, you know, man crushing on uh, Captain Brownbeard. He was, he was crushing on (laughs) Jenny, Jenny because that you're these super exciting people who were living these exciting lives. They were making all his dreams come come true. And I think that that gave him a level of confidence in what he was doing and and this is what he wants to do. And and so it's it's almost 
energized and recharged him in a way. Yes, I tend to agree with you there. Yeah, and and I think that Alex is crushing on him because he saved her life. Yes. And we know that she came from a town that she couldn't get wait to get away from, that there was nothing fulfilling for her there. And maybe she kind of feels like she doesn't want to be left behind as Jake is clearly finding his himself in all this work that Crane and Jenny are doing. And she's looking for ways to, hey, you know, me too, me too. How can I be of help? How can I be an assistant? I can do this. I can do that. But maybe not necessarily having the same passion, I'll, I'll call it, as Jake has. Maybe that's what she wants is she wants some of the passion that he has. Right. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. And she just needs a good episode of building weapons with uh, Jenny to get her going. And, and this episode, she came through big time. So maybe that will help her come out a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that what happened with the demon and the fire right. flu really, really scared her. Right. Because she knew she could have died very quickly, very easily. And I think that yes. really frightened her, and she's still having the effects of that. So Very true. But we want them to remain friends. I'm not into shipping them. No. Well, Steve, what kind of witty witnessisms did our team have this week? Because there were certainly a lot of them. Yeah, especially at the party um, when he meets uh, Mr. Zappa. Well, tis a pleasure. Zap, zip, zap, zap, zap. A match made in Aquarius. <laughs> Age of Aquarius? Yeah, yes. definitely. <laughs> and, uh, of course, um, when he gets over to Jenny and, of course, getting there, he passes our uh, good old Hamilton uh, <laughs> impersonator. And who invited the guy dressed like Hamilton? Shamilton? My thoughts exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel like saying, don't worry, Crane. It's a fad. It'll be over in a year. Don't sure, worry. Right. Yeah, it'll be gone then. Everybody will be talking about the latest and the greatest. Right. And then we've got three or four lines from Alex. Um, after Jake mentions that they're going to see this horror film, Alex goes, hasn't fighting real monsters put you off that sort of thing? Yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, since uh, when did a book nerd become a film geek? <laughs> yes. Well, because his new girlfriend, Missy. Is into it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, <laughs> as long as you don't start dressing like me, acting like me, and then kill me and take my place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> when Missy was, uh, yeah, oh, I, I really like you, really dig you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too much TMI, uh, Jake. TMI, you're giving out TMI. And then Alex goes, you, you said I was funny? Jake goes, uh-huh, you are. In a very specific way. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your uh, humor is quite biting, Miss Alex. And then you almost miss this line as they're you know, trying to figure out what this beast is. And they're going through all these different things. And they actually mention vampire. And Jenny goes, hmm, never an actual vampire now that you mention it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I thought, how are they going to weave that one in? <laughs> And of course, Alex got to get her one dig on um, on Jake and his girlfriend. Just don't get too cocky, okay? Because people with too much in common, they never work out. And Jake comes back. But didn't you say the exact opposite when I was crushing on Jenny Mills, though? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have nothing, nothing in common. They'll never work out. Now you got too much in common. They'll never work out. And then, of course, as they're staking out the assistant, she goes, 
Just because you score with girls at bars don't mean that puppy dog charm of yours is going to serve you here. Jake laughs. Puppy dog charm? That's what I said. Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't much of one, but I believe you just complimented me. Alex goes, no, I described you using canines as a comparison. Alex comes back, uh-huh, the word that jumped out was charming. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we all just adore Jake's puppy dog charm. Yes. Because <laughs> he was definitely uh, working it with the assistant, too. So, amazing. And, of course, Crane gets the puzzle. Fortunately, I was most adept at puzzles, so <clears throat> confounding. Jenny comes, hey, I was master at Rubik Cubes. Crane goes, I have no idea what you just said, but I do know that I saw Franklin's cipher when many others had failed, and I was able to drink from the most challenging puzzle jug without spilling a drop. So perhaps I should... And Jenny hands it back to him. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great moment. Yes. <laughs> and of course, how she explains the uh, golden cars. I had a friend that used to use skateboards to slide under the cars and dismantle catalytic converters. She'd strip and sell the gold inside for beer money. She called it a catalytic conversion rate. Yeah. (laughs) Crane goes, did she? A friend? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Jenny got that look on her face. Um, busted. (laughs) Yeah. Busted. And then at the end, I hope you're not thinking what I think you're thinking. You are thinking what I was. <laughs> yeah, indeed, she did. And the four horsemen of the apocalypse yes. are coming back. <laughs> the gang's back together again. Uh, wrong gang. Yes. James gang. That's what we need back. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. How about this week's history lesson, Barb? Okay. There were a number I could have chosen from again this week, uh, but I decided to focus on the Donner Party and James F. Reed. In May 1846, a group of about 90 pioneers left independent Missouri and headed west toward California in a wagon train. The group was led by George Donner and James F. Reed, both of Illinois. Reed had been born in Northern Ireland, okay, so he wasn't from England, and settled in Illinois in 1831. And I will insert here that I did look uh, at a couple genealogy websites to which I subscribe to look back at the history of James F. Reed. And nowhere in his background could I find parents, grandparents, anything else indicated. So that part of Twistery, guys, was not correct. It was Twistery. Yeah, but Northern Ireland is part of the kingdom of the UK, so... That that is is true. (laughs) That is true. It could be possible. But according to genealogy records, James F. Reed's parents are, or at least his father, is unknown. Okay, so the group initially followed the California trail route through Fort Laramie, Wyoming, but then they diverted. Rather than following the normal trail to Fort Hall in what is now Idaho, the Donner Party headed south to Fort Bridger, Wyoming. Now, they had decided to take a new and supposedly shorter route to California, the Hastings Cutoff, laid out by an unscrupulous trail guide named Langsford Hastings. Hastings was not at Fort Bridger when the party arrived. He was leading an earlier wagon train along his new route, and he left word for the party to follow, promising that he would mark the trail for them. Now, a journalist, Edward Bryant, had seen the trail, and he sent warning letters to those who might follow, but no one in the Donner Party saw them. 
and it was James Reed who encouraged the team to take the promised shortcut. Now, they crossed the Wasatch Mountains in Utah, the Great Salt Lake Desert, and then they rejoined the traditional trail in late September along the Humboldt River, but they had traveled 150 more miles by using the so-called shortcut, and they were a month behind schedule. So that's pretty scary when it's the end of September and you still have right. to get and you still have to get through the mountains. Yes. Tempers were short and Reed and another party member John Snyder became embroiled in a fight which ended in Snyder's death. Reed was banished from the group and so he left and went ahead of them crossing the Sierra Nevada mountains well before the rest of the Donner party safely arriving at Sutter's Fort in Sacramento, California. On October the 28th a heavy snowfall blocked the high mountain passes, trapping the remaining Donner Party members in a frozen wilderness. They built shelters, hoping to resume their journey, but were forced to spend the winter in the mountains. The party was low on supplies and had to slaughter their oxen for food. As the winter wore on, many of the people starved to death and some resorted to cannibalism. Now, Reed sought funds for and joined a rescue party, which reached the camp in February 1847 and began evacuation efforts. His wife and his children were still with the Donner Party, and they were stuck over the winter. They all survived. A second group brought supplies on March 1st with a final rescue effort on March the 14th. Only 45 of the original 89 Donner Party members reached California. The cannibalism story quickly spread, and before long, the term Donner Party became synonymous with one of humanity's most ingrained taboos, Donner Pass in the Sierra Nevada of Northern California is named for the Donner Party. The pass now represents an important route connecting San Francisco with Reno, lying within Tahoe National Forest near the Donner Memorial State Park. James Reed and his family remained in California, where he briefly participated in the 1848 gold rush, ultimately settling with his family in San Jose, where he became a real estate developer, dying in 1874 at 73 years of age. And there are many streets and there were buildings that were named after him. There is a lot more to read about this and I'm going to include links in the show notes to two articles about the Donner Party from Wikipedia and from History.com and another article on James Reed. Another great history lesson there, Barb. Thanks, Steve. I know I don't get the twistery as do it as well as the writers do it, but that's the real history, guys. Yes. All right. So, Steve, what kind of feedback do we get this week? Well, we don't have our normal audio feedback from Justina. I think she's a little busy in her with her new house uh, getting closer to completion. Looked like it. Yes, it sure did. They've got drywall up on the inside, so I'm sure she's definitely busy with making sure the interior is completed properly. But we did get some Facebook. We got f quite a bit of Facebook feedback, didn't we? Yes, we did. First, Todd, didn't see a spoiler discussion thread for this app. I just started watching, but real quick, did we know that Dreyfus is remaking the Four Horsemen? Because that's what it seems with these hosts, but I always could be wrong. Yeah, well, Todd, we're thinking you are spot on. Yes, indeed you are. Yeah, and we've been speculating about this for a while, but... I think that Dreyfus put the nail in the coffin, so to speak, in this episode. <laughs> nice. And then we had Annette. She said it was a great episode. She gave it nine scales. The horsemen are here. 
How does Molly fit into his plan? And yeah, that's, well, he wants to be daddy-o to her, but yeah. Um, Annette believes that John Noble will be back, and so do we. And then she watched it again, and she says, I have to say that Malcolm is the creepiest villain on the show ever. Not even Moloch was that creepy. So she's doing the Moloch comparison as well. And I think, you know, it's funny because I think that Malcolm, I think he's slimy. Yes. He's creepy, but he's slimy. And I really do feel the need to spray myself down with Lysol after watching him. (laughs) Yes. He's just, ugh, ick, yuck. All right. Linda gave it 8.5 Rubik's Cubes on steroids. I love how real history is hijacked and rearranged. The whole Donner Party, Sutter Mills, Hunger Monster, Explosion, Discovery of Gold story was so imaginative. I figured that the Donners waited a couple years before sharing their discovery to account for the differences. Donner Party, 1846, Sutter's Mill, 1848. I can't help it. I love history. Oh, and I do too, Linda. I'm right there with you. (laughs) Yes, we both are. (laughs) And then Julie, uh, she gave it 8.5 crushing Alex's. Glad to see us fans aren't the only ones who think Jake is a big (laughs) puppy dog. Oh, he is. And I'd say that we'd want to pet him, but that would sound kind of weird. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it really would. Uh, now that we have three horsemen, does that mean John Noble will be back as war? I hope so. He was always fun to watch, and I would love to see him come back again. And you know what, Julie? I think that we are all going to get our wish on that one. Indeed we are. All right. Our Twitter Facebook question of the week was, who are the four horsemen and how does Dreyfus fit in? Kelly replied, well, that lady don't remember her name, is now a horseman or woman of famine. Logan is the horseman of pestilence. Headless is the horseman of death. That leaves the horseman of war. Who was Jeremy Crane slash Henry? So I believe Dreyfus will find a way to bring him back. What he does with him after that, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, and with only three episodes left, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly. Yes. And then Annette said, Helen's the horseman of famine. Logan is the horseman of pestilence. We have the horseman of death, and Henry is the horseman of war. I think Malcolm is the Antichrist. He will bring in the apocalypse. That's a pretty good possibility as well. I agree. All right. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook, and thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout-outs go to Sleepy Hollow Fox, Sleepy Hollow Writers, Healy McDonald herself, Maari Chrisham, a design costume designer, very nice. Sleepy Hollow Addict, Tom Misson fans, Natalie Curran, Pam Woods, Mary Powers, Patricia Reynolds, Penny Ellington, Tiffany T, Deb K, Lawrence Griffin, Debbie Lamb, Linda Atina Awuno, Annette Nugget, Karen McDonald, Mac Jackson, Sleepy Hollow Hub, Shutter UK, Michelle A. McKeever, Diana L, Peace, Love, and Hope, Carolyn Lane, Danny, Wanda, NMP, The Shenanigator, Pamela Edwards, Molly McLaughlin, Epiphany Jones, Polly T, Chip Mims, L. Knuckles, Kareem Peterton, Tracy, Judy, Julie, Judy Miller, Linda, Todd, Kelly Beam, Therese Navarra, Esther, and Barbara McComber. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Okay, they can get in touch with us at our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, or you can even attach your audio feedback. 
Our feedback deadline is Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also reach us on Facebook on our Witness Prophecies page. We're also on Twitter at WitnessProfGSM. Steve is at Salier Steve. I'm at Tangier14. And one other thing that I just wanted to mention about one of the folks who interacted with us this week on Twitter, Chip Mims, if you guys like history, he and his wife host a podcast on the Americans. It's Watching the Americans that has just gotten into its fifth season. Really a fantastic show about the 80s and the Soviet influence and spying and the whole Cold War relations between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. So it was nice to hear from Chip. I think this is the first time we've heard from him this season. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. We've reached that time of the podcast where if you don't want to be spoiled on upcoming episodes. Run. Run as if Malcolm Dreyfus is offering you a job. As a host. <laughs> as a host. You. Woo. No NDA right. required. Right. Episode 11, The Way of the Gun. An important connection is revealed in an all-new Sleepy Hollow Friday, March 17th. When a mysterious woman finds her way into the vault, the team struggles to understand who she is and with whom her alliances lie. Meanwhile, Alex must come to terms with her complicated feelings when she finds herself in a tight spot. Hmm. Mm. Yes. And, ooh, nice point there. We have Sashel Gabriel as Laura. And I believe that was uh, Lourdes on Falling Skies. Yeah, she was. She was Lords on Falling Skies. She did a really nice job. And so this person is going to show up in more than one episode. So mm-hmm, I think we've got something that may be going on here. Very interesting. Yes. Episode 12 is tomorrow. And you've heard something about this one, haven't you? Yes, this is the episode we should see, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So anyway, Team Witness is going to get a grim look into the future on Friday, March the 24th. And guess who's returning? Here it is, folks. Guest star John Noble returns with a glimpse into the dystopian world that could be if Dreyfus comes to power. The team learns more about Laura. Okay, and here she is again, guest star Seychelle Gabriel. All right, so she's going to be in at least two episodes. Knowing what is at stake, can Team Witness put a stop to the billionaire madman before it's too late? So the question is, how are they going to get this glimpse into the future? Is Molly going to have a vision and she's going to tell him about it finally? Because we know she's had visions already. Yes. So that's what I'm wondering. I'm so, thinking that way. Yeah. So definitely we're going to have John Noble in here. Seychelle Gabriel is Laura. She's going to be back. We're going to have to see who else shows up in the cast. Right. And the season finale, episode 13, is entitled Freedom. We're pretty sure this is going to air on March 31st. Yes, it is. Dreyfus finally garners enough power to infiltrate the White House, and his group of minions grow strong enough to take action. Can Team Witness stop Dreyfus in time? Yowzer. Yes. And so Henry Parrish, uh, John Noble is in this one. And yes. you notice um, Seychelle Gabriel is back in this one. Yes. And then, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then my job theory may have gone out the window because we have Terrence Mann as the devil. Oh. So now I don't know what Job is again. Maybe he's junior devil. <laughs> Maybe he is. He's the, he's the devil in waiting. Right. 
Now, finally, I found an interview with Lindy Greenwood from Sci-Fi Wire um, from March the 3rd. I think we mentioned this earlier online. And I didn't mention everything that was in there because there were some spoilers in here. And one of the questions that she was asked, I'm going to, we're not going to go through the whole article. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to read it. And I'll put down that it's spoilers. Uh, What can you tell us about what we have to look forward to for the rest of the season? And she replied, this is always such a tough question. I can't say that some of my favorite episodes of Sleepy Hollow ever, ever are coming up. I love, love, love episode 11 and 12 of this year. So that's the next two weeks. Yes. I'm so excited for people to see those. Stuff gets really crazy and it's a lot of fun. I think the end of the season is just going to be amazing and I can't wait for people to see it. Nice. And then she was asked, anything else that you can tell us about what's coming up? And the here's went, and here's the interesting part. A new character is introduced, which has got to be Laura, right? Right. This is, this is this new person. A new character that is really, really cool and unexpected. When I read it, I was like, what? And it's really cool. So I think everyone is going to enjoy the last half of the season. The final episodes of the season are so action-packed, and that's something that I love to go through. The second half of the season, Jenny has a really cool fight scene. Nice. Yeah, so we're going to have this new person, Laura, and I don't know what she means or what she's supposed to become or how she fits in. But it sounds like she's going to be a very important character. Exactly. So I don't know if... And and we're told it's unexpected, which means it's something we're not even thinking about right now. Right. I don't know if it's right. a person that's a, a connection in some way. It can't be a third witness because there are only two of them. So I can't even begin to imagine what this Laura person will be or, or, or what she'll do. And we it really doesn't say whether or not she's a good person or a bad person either. No. No, it doesn't. Uh-uh. So, yeah. Next three should be a pretty wild ride. It's unbelievable, Steve, but here we are, and we're coming to the end of the season already. Yep. It feels it short. Worked. Oh, wait, it was short. It was only 13 episodes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. If you want to catch up on this on some of the great season one and season two stories and monsters, pick up a copy of Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Monsters, and Demons, the official making of book by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. Please review and rate us on iTunes. With good ratings and reviews, it helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we do really hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve, and our enemy Dreyfus seeks to raise the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and we alone can stop him. And this is Barb signing out, and remember... If we are to be successful in our battle against the supernatural, we must always stay on the same page. Separate agendas will only lead the group astray. See you next week, sleepyheads.